Hi, welcome to another episode of Ampere Amplified. My name is Mahesh Madhav. I'm a performance engineer here at Ampere. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Richard Shannon. He is an SOC architect and a distinguished engineer at Ampere. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Mahesh. Happy to be here. Thanks. It's really cool to have you here. This is actually the first time that we're meeting as Ampere employees. <laughs> first time I've seen you in like two years. It's, it's crazy what the pandemic can do. Yeah. But, but this is great. We're here. We're going to chat a little bit about your journey, about Ampere, as well as uh, some of the technical aspects of the products that we work on. Mm -hmm. I want to first start off by asking you a little bit about your, your career and your journey. I know that you and I kind of came up through different different avenues of client and data center architecture and uh, you know, at Ampere, we're working on data center and cloud products. Mm -hmm. uh, can you share a little bit about how you have come up through the various avenues of hmm. microarchitecture? Yeah, um, so I've had kind of a varied career, starting off as a, as a design engineer, actually starting off uh, way back when doing data center chipsets for the, you know, more recently in my career, I find my way into the client CPU architecture team where I spent a number of years. So I was there working as a, as a client architect, building a variety of SOCs, uh, everything from, from entry level CPUs that would go into cheaper laptops, very new, uh, uh, you know, high performance, low power chipsets that go into, uh, you know, very small form factors, like new and innovative stuff like that. And then mainstream CPUs that go into everyday laptops and desktop computers. So I, bet, I spent a long time working in various aspects on, on these types of, of products, uh, learning a lot of stuff along the way, learning constantly. Like my, my mm -hmm. career has been just one long learning experience, which has kept it interesting. But then ultimately I got to a point with, with client where, you know, I thought, okay, there's, it's time for change. You know, I've been doing client uh, CPUs now for, for quite a while. So it's, it's time to go on and venture into, you know, a little bit of a different area and, and see what's going on there. So, you know, at, at my former company at Intel, they have, you know, they do everything, right? So they have a, a, a group there that's, that's focused on, on the cloud business. So, uh, you know, that was, seemed like a good opportunity to go and learn about this new thing called cloud and what is it and, and what, how, how can I play a role there and, yep. and, and what's going on? So, um, yeah, so I moved over to the cloud group and, and immediately became very immersed in, uh, in cloud technologies and what the CSP companies are doing and became immediately just overwhelmed uh, <laughs> and just kind of awestruck at, uh, at what was going on. Like in my world, in, this, in the client land where I'd been for years, uh, you know, we, we think that you know, the client CPU is really important and, and that's where compute is happening and that's where the innovation is and, and everything. And then you come into the, you move into the cloud space and you get exposed to what the CSP companies are doing. And you realize, wow, there is a whole other world of compute. And these guys are, are driving innovation far faster than anybody else. And, and, and not just, I mean, in terms of services, but also in terms of like how they build their data centers. They're constantly looking at how they, how they build a more efficient data center, how they can add more different types of compute into, the, into a given data center and, uh, to, to facilitate the various services they want to offer. And so it was, it was just mind blowing. This, this whole new world where, you know, if I, you know, if I view myself as, as being in the compute industry, like this is where the cloud is where the compute yeah. is happening, right? That's where things are going. That's where the innovation is happening. So it was, it was a big, big moment for me to, to see that. Yeah. The growth is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that struck me was historically there's been kind of a push pull between thin clients and thick clients. 
and mm -hmm. the wave goes back and forth as to like which one is more important or which one deserves more time from particular architecture team to go mm -hmm. in and innovate on and the the needle has now shifted hard towards the the thin client and then the more beefier server and the beefier cloud computing can you share some of the the differences uh, that you've seen as as like what do we have to do as computer architects to think about the data center differently well i think the interesting thing when you look at the cloud is that you know, what you think of as a computer is a, is a completely different thing. So, and Google has, I think, is in one case has described this, uh, you know, they've written a book called The Data Center as a Computer, or The Computer as a Data Center, something along those lines. So they look at it literally like the data center is the computer. It's, you know, a lot of times when you talk with, you know, CPU architects or people who are in the CPU industry, they're focused on the product and they think, okay, my CPU is the, is the important thing. That's where everything needs to be focused on. And, and you go to the next level and, and people who spend their career working within the core itself. So people who came up through computer architecture, computer science, and, and, and then, you know, now they're working as, as core designers or core architects and working at micro architectural or, or at the ISA level. They're almost their entire world is, is, is the core and they think that that's the important thing. But then you have many, many cores inside a CPU, and now you have many CPUs inside a rack, and then thousands of racks across this data center. And as far as our, com our customers are concerned, that is the computer. The computer is the data yep. center, right? And so they, how do you take all of this compute, all uh, different types of compute, and, 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 and how do you take the workloads that you need to run and spread it across these vast data centers and make them all talk efficiently? How do you move data around efficiently? How, where should you do the compute? You know, if you have data sitting over here, do you do the compute over here? Maybe that's the right answer. You know, historically, you might have data stored in, in, in vast, you know, racks of, of, of disks, and then you, you bring that data over to some server, some client server, and, and you do some operations on it there. And now we're seeing some of that, you know, some of that workload uh, moving to, to the data. So, mm. so depending on what the operation is, the compute demands are going to be quite different. Right, and then everything in between. Like, so you you know your data from the compute to the storage, you're you're traveling through network nodes, you're traveling through load balancers. You know, so the the requirements for these different types of of compute nodes are, are again they're all they're all different. And so this is all going in on inside the data center. And so our, our customers have to think about all these things. So they're not just thinking about one type of computer for one type of thing. So we as a company, we're like, if we're going to be a cloud CPU company, we need yeah. to think. Well, there's not just one cloud CPU. You know, there's not just one workload. There's not just one thing it has to do. It has, to, you know, we have to think about, you know, we have to serve all these different types of operations that are going on. That's quite challenging to think about. There are so many different kinds of programs running out there, workloads, mm -hmm. benchmarks, and we don't have access to all of them. Not even Google has access to all of them. They say, you know, we run 200,000 different workloads in our, in our public cloud. We don't know what customers are running. So what does that do for us? How do we build a machine yeah. where we're trying to serve all these different customers mm -hmm. and their use cases? How do we design for that resiliency? Yeah, so I think, I mean, you're right. And there's no one, there's no one answer. And when you're dealing with an ecosystem of multiple different customers, each, each of our customers, the CSPs, all may have a different answer as well. And they're not always very forthcoming. So, so what, what can you do? So, I mean, one thing you can do is, you know, pay attention to what's going on, like attend 
conferences, read papers. Like a lot of these companies, they they will publish work, right? So so Google is very is is quite prolific in publishing studies that they've done, profiling their data centers, and then you know basically essentially telling CPU vendors, look, we we've profiled our data center across these different types of workloads, and we found X, Y, and Z. So you know, these are opportunities for you as the CPU ecosystem to go and invest and look at this and see, you know, if you can do something that that helps us and that provides value to us based on what we've published in this paper. So there are a number of examples like that. And then you can, you know, just through through conversations with customers and then looking at, you know, AWS is arguably one of the, it is the largest CSP that's offering public cloud services. And it's, you know, they're very innovative and, you know, they have, you know, annual conferences like you know they do their reInvent conference every year where they you know stand up and they talk about what they're doing and 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 uh, and why. In a lot of cases, they're very much focused on their own customers, right? They are a very customer obsessed company, so they want to be able to build platforms and services that ultimately provide value to their customers. And what do their customers care about? Their customers care about getting a service at a given cost, right? So. If we, as a CPU vendor, can come in and provide a certain performance profile for a certain set of workloads at a certain, you know, at a certain what they call TCO, total yep. cost of ownership, and we can do that more competitively at a, at a better performance per price or you know price per performance than than our than other CPU vendors, then that's going to be valuable to to our customers, to the CSPs. They're going to want that because that gives them an opportunity to then offer their customers performance at a, at a reduced cost, right? So, I mean, that's just one example. So. Yeah, I think I think paying attention to what's going on and why, and 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 looking at the services that 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 our customers are offering, uh, and seeing you know trying to get a, a, an idea of how they're configuring their platforms, and then like I said, with looking at looking at papers and seeing you know what types of things are they talking about, where are they spending their time, where are they trying to invest. I've come to see also that it's important for us not to design ourselves into a corner, and by that I mean if we try to specify a microarchitecture too closely to a particular style of workload, then we start getting, well, stuck in the corner. Mm -hmm. And I've seen in the industry where there might be companies who, who put out very large vector instruction length, mm -hmm. right? And they're building for such a wide vector that the majority of workloads don't actually show affinity towards that. Mm -hmm. But a vast majority of the area of the die is being used for that. And so now, even if you, as a customer, don't have a workload that shows affinity to 512-bit vectors, you're still paying for that silicon cost. Mm -hmm. right? And I think one of the choices that we've made is to design more in the center for the vast quantity yeah. of workloads that exist. Yeah, and I think I think that's really where we have a, our biggest opportunity is taking an ARM architecture which typically the ARM the ARM cores themselves are relatively small and efficient and you know we have an ability to to basically build a CPU around that with with many cores that that can serve maybe not every aspect of the cloud data center and everything that's going on and and to your point right some customers will have workloads that 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 are more you know, vector oriented and, and maybe like some HPC or other data analytics type workloads that, that would require, you know, or benefit from, from these longer vector instructions as an example. But there's the vast majority of computation that's happening in the data center can be serviced by a smaller, more just general purpose, and to some degree, a more vanilla 
type of a, a CPU yep. that that doesn't have all the bells and whistles that other companies might be putting into their into their cores, but it does what it needs to do and it does it very efficiently. And for the majority of the workloads, that's more important. Like just getting these basic things done and getting them done really efficiently and, and being able to to fit more of those workloads into a given rack, into a given system, is ultimately what, what our customers need. Right. So yep. yeah. Yep, that's great. How do you see Ampere fitting into the larger picture now? There's you know, the incumbents in mm-hmm. the cloud computing space. Yeah. Ampere is an upstart, and we have a great product. It's, it's shown high performance yeah. uh, at all the different review websites. Mm-hmm. There's really something burgeoning here. Yeah, I think this is really hitting on the, this revolution of ARM coming into the into this data center space as kind of a first-class citizen now. I think for a long time, for a number of years, we've seen there have been a few attempts to bring ARM architecture into the data center, and, and you could argue that it, it wasn't quite mature enough, like the ISA wasn't quite mature enough to, to really service you know, the demands of a, of a data center workload. When you have like virtualization and things like that hap- you know, happening on a, on, a, on, a, on a grand scale, you need a, a, an instruction set that can support that. The ARM ISA now is at a point where I think it's, it's mature. Uh, and then I think really, again, going back to AWS, they've really led the charge in terms of understanding, like identifying the possibilities uh, and the opportunity they have with ARM and what the value is there. Um, so if we look back at the, the journey that they went on, which I think is really, has, has really driven the entire ecosystem in this direction, they started working with a company called Annapurna Labs out of Israel back in, I think, 2012, 2013, trying to build a, a better uh, network card. And they had such a great experience with Annapurna that they then decided to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> And they went from from building you know just this one network network adapter to then building what they call their Nitro system, and their Nitro system is essentially a set of ARM-based offload cards for for doing things like networking and storage uh, and security now as well and virtualization. What they found prevalent across all of the the cloud vendors is they developed so much of their own infrastructure software to enable their data center to operate as back to the point as a computer yep. so they have you know there's orchestration software going on there's 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 storage software at the end they have software defined storage they have software defined networking these are many layers of 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 the CSP infrastructure software that is running and and historically is running on the same systems as their end customer software or end customer applications or, or VMs and they found like 30% of our cores are being used by our own infrastructure software so if we can offload that to something else then that opens up these expensive cores that we're paying for that we uh, that we can rent out to our customers. That just opens up more of that. And even even you know taking that a degree further, they're then able to just rent out the entire system as a bare metal server if they can offload all of their own s- software onto something else. So Nitro given the opportunity to offload all the infrastructure software onto these set of ARM-based cards. And then the next evolution from that was, well, if we can run all this software on these cards that are running ARM processors, maybe we can build an ARM CPU that, that is a server. So they did that with Graviton 1. And then they enhanced that again in Graviton 2 in 2019, which they launched. And I think with that, that you've really seen this opportunity of ARM's a, ARM's a real thing. ARM can be a real player in the data center. It can run a variety of workloads. And this is really just a starting point for it. So now if you look at Anantech just released an article just last week, uh, and it included a little chart there that showed within AWS, 
in 2020, 49% of their new server deployments were ARM. So that tells me that within the data center space, within the server ecosystem, ARM is ARM's a real thing. ARM, ARM is, has value, and there's a great opportunity for, for ARM across the entire ecosystem. Yeah. And there isn't another mainstream ARM CPU vendor. Like AWS builds chips for themselves, which is great for them, but they don't build chips for anybody else. So that's where Ampere, I think, has this really incredible opportunity to, to, to basically service the rest of the ecosystem, and maybe even AWS as well. You know, I'm not saying we, we can't sell to them, but you know, certainly the rest of the big CSPs and, and all of the tier twos present a, a remarkable opportunity for us to build chips that, 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 that are valuable to these guys and, and, uh, and, and to sell to them and, and to basically be a, a, you know, a third CPU vendor within the, within the server ecosystem. Yeah, it's, it's funny how the winds of change have made it such that Ampere is right now the only merchant market vendor of ARM CPUs, mm-hmm. ARM uh, data center CPUs. Right, right. right? And it's it a great position to be in. <laughs> it kind of came about through the, the, maybe the management or mismanagement mm-hmm. of Cavium and the, the Qualcomm, mm-hmm. Qualcomm-centric that kind of went by the wayside. And you can kind of see these opportunities that are fallen by the wayside in this road towards ARM server TCO glory, mm-hmm. right? And it happens to be that Ampere is just trudging along, pushing forth with our own innovation, our integration. Mm-hmm. We actually have a product that now, due to the software ecosystem, we can run Linux, right. Apache, MySQL, Python, Perl, right? There's your LAMP stack. Mm-hmm. That was impossible five years ago, right. six years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have these companies that just didn't quite make it. Right. right? They're a little too early. A little too early. <laughs> and Rene has said that it takes about 10 years for innovation to come to market and mm-hmm. be mature. And the the first ARM server CPUs were, you know, maybe C-Micro, Calzita, that was about 2010. And look at here we are, mm-hmm. 10, 11 years later, and the software ecosystem is here. The hardware e- ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Ampere is but, here. But those earlier products that you're talking about, they were all they all needed to happen in order to get the yes. software ecosystem to where it is now. Because yep. you need both, right? Yeah. If you're too early, you're you're helping push the ecosystem around you right. forward. Yeah. Right. So you might not make it. <laughs> <laughs> you might not make it. <laughs> but but somebody somebody in the future like us, right. I, I think, yeah. So but, the yeah. time is now for Ampere. I think the time is now for Ampere, and I think Ampere is the really has the right combination of leadership and engineering and, and customer engagement to, to really to really succeed uh, in this space uh, and really let you know like you said be that kind of merchant silicon vendor to the rest of the ecosystem yep so uh, that was a great discussion of the the arm ecosystem and where we're starting to fit in mm-hmm. to the the cloud ecosystem and the cloud vendors let's dive in a little bit deeper into what we do as soc architects mm. to make that happen Ampere has a roadmap. We know that customers really value a roadmap where they can actually build platforms around our cadence of delivery, mm-hmm. right? So we have to put out a product every year, incrementally changing and improving what we have. Can you talk a little bit about the discipline that we put in to SOC architecture and microarchitecture? Yeah, so with, with architecture, we really sit in between these two spaces of you know what you know customers and what the ecosystem is doing what what's going on in industry and then engineering who are actually going to to build 
the chips. So we need to look at a combination of, of, of what our customers are telling us they need. So we work with our strategic team and have customers have, have conversations with our customers to make sure that for the next generation, the generation after that, like what is it they need and, and, and where are they going with, with, with their business? And then also looking at our competition. So looking at, at competitive analysis reports, paying attention to what's going on with, with industry specs. So we need to take all of these various things and distill it into, make sense of it and distill it into like, what do we need to be building? For our next generation, and 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 also looking forward to what about the generation after that, right? So we're the ones who kind of take these 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 various inputs and form it into a, a strategy and a roadmap of products, and and for each product, what what features, what capabilities are they going to have? Ultimately, as well, we have to balance that with what's actually executable. And so, you know, like you said, right? If we're doing something on an annual cadence, we have to be cognizant of if I'm going to come up with some product architecture, some, some definition for this SOC, it needs to tape out here. It needs to go to market here. Therefore, the scope of it needs to be constrained. So maybe everything I want to do isn't going to happen here. So maybe I, you know, I need to think about what ultimately what I want, my, this, some, some feature or some capability in my product, ultimately what I want, do I want it to do? Maybe I don't get there in the first generation. You know, so maybe you're developing some new technology and to start with, you, you, you build in the, the kind of foundation and some basic capabilities because that's what's executable and that's what gets things started. And that's what enables the platform to mm -hmm. then, to then take the next step, which is, you know, where now, now I optimize it. Now I build on top of that and, and, and add even more value and, and really take it to where I want to go with it. So there's, there's some aspect of, uh, of kind of, kind of being able to stage things out like that. So you're not, you don't have to try and jam everything in in one go and make something that's too complex and, and ultimately can't be executed or may have lots of bugs and therefore production gets delayed. So you have to, as an architect, you have to you know, factor in what what does the industry need me to build in this product? What can I actually execute in the time that we have with the people that we have uh, in order to be successful? And then what are we going to do the generation after that? So it feels like there's a, since we have annual cadence, mm -hmm. if you work backwards from there, there's a train that leaves the station right. once a year. Right? I love That's that when analogy. we do our tape out. Yep. And it feels like you have to get all of your ducks in a row yep. right? and your microarchitecture design completed to make that train. And if you miss that train, what happens? You go on the next train. You have to go on the next train. Which, which you know, I, I'm a big proponent of, of that philosophy to chip development because there are so many moving parts. Because, I mean, a lot of times schedule really is king. And really, at the end of the day, a lot of times people will obsess and, and focus on, like, we must get this thing in. We have to get this thing in. Therefore, you know, and then, you know, you end up, you slip by, by three months and you end up slipping by six months. Ultimately, it would have been better if you had just taped that chip in. Yep. And, and like you said, like, take the next train, you know, because then we're a company. We're going to be around for a long time. We're going to be building many generations of products, yeah. there will be another product. And, you know, if you don't get your, your, your baby into this one, it'll, it'll make it into the next one. And, and, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's like, that's a good trade off to make. The, the idea of that incremental development is, is more akin to like agile development in software where mm -hmm. they have a release, right? Microsoft Windows has a release every six months and it gets updated. Mm -hmm. Right. So if, if some feature misses that train, they'll get the next train. And yeah. Renee has tried to bring that in along with, you know, Rohit in engineering and Atik in architecture. And they're trying to, to create a agile hardware methodology. It's hard to do in hardware. It's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but we have you. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will advocate for that at, at every opportunity. I, I think it's, I think it's a good, good approach to take. So you know, we're we're trying to bring forth this agile hardware methodology, mm-hmm. and that means we have to be disciplined. What's what's some of the ways that you create this discipline in our team? So let's see. For one thing, there's a good quote I like, which is "Don't let perfection be the enemy of progress," uh, which I believe came from Winston Churchill. And again, I think this quote applies really well to, to engineering and, and certainly to, to hardware engineering where you can spend a lot of time really making something, you know, what in your mind, this, this perfect thing. And, and you always have these ideas of like, I, I need to do this, 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 and this, and it needs to hit this milestone and this, and, and this, you know, performance metric and this metric and do this and do that. In reality, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you make something and it's good enough, Oftentimes, that's that is literally good enough. Like it's you know you, when you get to a point where you've got something and it's functional and it operates well within the parameters that it needs to, call it good for now and move on to the next to yep. the next problem you have to solve. Right? You don't don't spend like six months trying to just polish something and polish something. You know we can wait in, in this analogy you talked about with the train leaving the station. Like you need to get something to a point where like this is good enough to where my design team and my verification team know how to build it and can get it done on the time frame. So, so let's just go, let's, let's, let's just get that shipped. So that, that's one aspect. Another thing is with decision-making, I think a lot of times people have a, people have a hard time, you know, making decisions. They may get stuck around, I don't have all the information I need. You know, I need to get more data. I need to talk to more people. I need to get more input on this. I think being a small company like Ampere, we are empowering people. You know, we hire people who are, who are who are competent, who are intelligent people, who are able to sort of look at information and and, and come up with ideas, and and use their intuition or use their best judgment at least to, to, to go forward with that. So when it comes to like making decisions in engineering, uh, it's better in my book to, to 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 look at your options and have some conversation, but ultimately like make a decision sooner rather than later, and go with something. Go with go with your gut. Go with what you think seems like the best option at that time. You get down the line. Yeah. If you a month down the line, if you find out, you'll find out if that was the bad if that was a bad decision. If you should have picked a different option, and then you can like you can you can adjust at that time, right? Don't don't wait until you have everything in front of you and then try to make a decision. You know, it's it's better to just it's better to to pick something and go, and then you know. Yep, I agree with you on both of those topics. I actually have a couple stories to share mm-hmm. on on the first one where you mentioned about discipline. One of the things that I have been sharing with the people who I mentor is this concept of knowing when to stop working on a problem so that you can go work on other problems, yeah. right? And a lot, of, a lot of people are perfectionists, right? right. That's why we're engineers, mm-hmm. right? We've come here to try to make great things. And this knowledge of making sure that you see the forest through the trees mm-hmm. and knowing that there are many problems to solve. Let's put this one aside. It's good enough for now. And move on to the next one. It's a hard hurdle to get over. It's a hard thing to get to the point where, like, I'm gonna just, yeah, I'm just gonna set that aside yep. for now and, and do something else. Yep. Good enough. Even in communication, when we're online speaking in in a meeting, mm-hmm. and we start to rat hole, right, right. It's the people who want to solve the problem there, right, right, who need to be interrupted by the ones who know. <laughs> let's stop talking about that now yeah. and move on, and we'll we'll finish it later. So, discipline and in, in knowing when to stop uh, is important, and the other one you mentioned was making decisions, mm-hmm. right? Making decisions quickly. One of the the one of my favorite stories to to share is how in the inception of Ampere, we were maybe two or three months into our we had just moved into a new building. We haven't staffed up uh, all the people yet, mm-hmm. but the the TLB designer 
comes to us and says, I need to make some decisions. We have to figure out, should we make unified TLBs or segregated TLBs or um, partitioned TLBs? Should they be, what size should they be? How, how should we create these? And, and there are some very fundamental choices we had to make. And what we ended up doing is we had three people get into a room. None of us were TLB experts. None of us were <laughs> workload experts. But we got in, we hashed it out for about an hour and yeah. said, by the power vested in us, <laughs> we, shall do we, this. we shall now have a unified TLB infrastructure and it'll be allowed to cache any size page table. And it makes it a little bit harder to design, but it's somewhat defensive because we don't know what workloads are out mm. there. We think that there's going to be larger page workloads mm -hmm. coming up. And that's the, the insight that we have from customers. Mm -hmm. And so let's do it this way. So it has more flexibility. It has more flexibility. And a year later, we ended up disclosing this design to a customer and their jaw dropped. And they said, wow, you know, we've been asking for this to all the various companies for we don't know how long. <laughs> and you come to us and you say that you're doing this straight out the bat. Yeah. And there literally was cheering in the room because Ampere had designed a core and a TLB structure that was amenable to their uh, workload and their growth path. Yeah. So, and that was just based on three of us making a quick decision. Mm -hmm. And we chose to do it. Literally, it was with, a defensive. With limited information as well, right? Limited information. It was kind of defensive, right? Mm -hmm. We could have said, let's make so many uh, entries for large pages and so many entries for smaller pages. Mm -hmm. And that would have been uh, more aggressive in a way, easier to design. But it would have, like how we said before, it would have cornered us mm -hmm. into a particular style of workload. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, I think. In general, I've seen, uh, you know, I think I think Ampere kind of fosters that mentality of people being able to make decisions like this, technical decisions about things with maybe they're not necessarily the expert. Maybe there isn't complete data. You know, at, at other companies, they may have to run weeks of performance studies before they make a decision like this. Right. Uh, or maybe there's like lots of legacy, which means which prevents them from from doing something yep. different like what you just described. But here at Ampere, yeah, a lot of things are blank slate, and a lot of things we're just kind of figuring out for ourselves. And uh, and but we have the autonomy to to make decisions like this and and just and go forward and get it done, which 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 is awesome, which allows us to be a little bit more dynamic and allows us to to maybe do things that are a little bit out of the box and a little bit different. And and maybe in your case that you described yeah. are a surprising benefit to to our customers, where they've they've wanted this for a long time, but because of legacy historic reasons maybe they're right. not getting that from other right. people exactly we we were able to do that without succumbing to any legacy mm -hmm. right we chose to do something based on as you said a bunch of smart people in a room d decide to make a decision right right yeah so so yeah that's that's one of the great great things about ampere and i know you're you're trying to help bring up the next generation right yeah. we are kind of considered the first generation of Ampere. We're starting to put these building blocks into place and we have a whole cadre of, of new folks now coming out of school and you've decided to, to help foster them in a way mm -hmm. by creating a handbook of sorts. Yes. Yeah, you yeah. want to talk about the handbook a little bit? Yeah, so I thought, you know, well, we've got these new people coming in. They're coming in, they're joining the architecture team. And architecture is one of those roles that it's a little bit ambiguous. And to some degree, certainly in my career as an architect, you don't always get a lot of direction. You're not like, it's not like when you're in some other roles where you, you know, you're tightly coupled to your manager and you're being given very specific direction in terms of what to do. And there's, there's, there's monitoring and there's close feedback and all that. It's a little bit more hands off and it's a little bit more, uh, 
vague and, and, and ambiguous. Uh, so you, as, as an architect, you kind of have to gather information and start formulating your own idea about things. But you know, how do you do that when you're coming out of university as a, as a, as a recent grad? Where do you even start? Like, where do you, you know, how do you even conceptualize where you fit in the overall picture of, of things? Yeah, so, so I, I thought about that and, and I thought, okay, I should write some stuff down. And, yep. and so you know, coming up with, with a chart that shows here's where the architect fits within the product development life cycle. And it's kind of what we talked about earlier with looking at input from various different aspects, from, from, from customers, from, from competitive analysis, looking at uh, and then working with very tightly with our performance engineers like yourself, right? To, you know, to, as, we, as we think through studies, let's, let's, how, can we, how can we model that? Can we model that? Or, or can we come up with some other way to, to get an idea of what that's going to look like from our performance aspect? And then who are all of our stakeholders, of which there are many. And those stakeholders, there, there's oftentimes there's a feedback loop between, between them and the architect. So there are a lot of, the architect really touches a lot of different people. And we have responsibilities, we have expectations. And, and so I wanted to create something that was short and succinct that, that a, you know, a new architect can come in and say, okay, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed yep. to do. This is what I'm supposed to produce. This is my responsibility. Okay, I, I see where I fit in, right? That was kind of my idea of like having something where they could easily see how, how they fit into the system and what they're, what they're expected to do. So yeah, I mean, I, I wrote this down and, and, and I came up with some, some mantras, some, some ideas of, of things that I think are, I want the new people to, to bear in mind as they come in. What are so, some of those? Yeah, so I mean, one key thing that, or some key things, I guess, you know, that, that I want people to, to, to adopt when they come in is, this this idea of like there are no bad ideas and there are no stupid questions like i want people to feel comfortable raising their voice and speaking up and and you know, just to, to ask a question you know you're going to be in meetings where you don't know what's going on so and there're going to be terms and phrases and acronyms being used that you don't understand so if you're going to be in a meeting you should make sure that you're getting the best use out of this time that you're investing being i mean look at meetings as as an investment i'm investing my time to be in this meeting either i should get something from it or i should contribute in, contribute something to it or 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 ideally both so you know ask questions if you don't understand what's going on or what people are talking about stop and ask if you have a litany of questions then maybe like write them down yep. on the side yep. and then follow up with the person afterwards and say hey you know can you explain all these things to me so yeah so, so there's that aspect and and like i said there's no dumb questions right so like whenever you whenever you have something that comes to mind if you're listening to some discussion something doesn't make sense to you don't assume that everybody else has already thought this through and they all know what they're talking about a lot of times people don't really haven't dug into the details of something. And so they may be talking about something that they haven't, they don't fully understand. So maybe they've got some idea uh, and, you know, you might make an assumption that they've already fully baked that idea, but maybe they haven't. So you bringing your question or, or, or your kind of counter thought to that, uh, to that conversation will help open it up and, and maybe make that person think of something they hadn't thought of. So I want to encourage our new people to, to, to speak up and, and think about if something doesn't make sense, like ask a question, like, you know, poke on it a little bit. It's certainly for me, I would want someone like as I'm developing some new architecture, I, I want people to challenge me. I want people yep. to sort of poke on what I'm saying just to kind of keep me, make me think about it. And make, I should be able to give you an answer that, that, that is satisfactory and that makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then maybe it's wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Yep. And that's okay. Like, you know, I heard you talking yep. about earlier about us being fallible. And, and I, I told, yeah, of course, we're all fallible and I, I'm not going to get everything right. So, yeah, some. Uh, graduate coming out of college with some bright, some fresh ideas and a diff, completely different perspective 
to my stodgy old you know brain after being in, in the industry for so yeah. long, right? Uh, you know they're going to have a different way of looking at it, and, and so that challenge to me is is really is, is welcome and it's and it's really useful, right? We we very much value technical curiosity. Yeah, and there you go. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, and uh, the enthusiasm that these folks have yeah. when they they come out and they want to build something new. One of the the things that Shiv Koshik, our fellow mm-hmm. MPR fellow, uh, always says, he's like, no, you know, I have an open door policy. Please come and ask me questions because I learn so much from the questions that people ask Ex- me. I yeah. see what That's is it. on their mind. Right. And it challenges me, as you said. It makes them think about things in a different way, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, because if, if you're architecting something and someone asks you a simple question that might f- f- blow up right. your entire design, that's that, great to yeah. know now right. before it gets farther down the line. And that's amazing to work at a company like Ampere where anybody can just go knock on the door of a fellow and be like, hey, Shiv, can you yeah. <laughs> can we talk about this? Yeah. Uh, you know, you may not you won't get that at other companies where, you know, there are layers of hierarchy between you and, right. and some senior person and, and the ability to get on that person's calendar it may be impossible, you know? Yeah. So it's a pretty unique opportunity in that aspect, which which our new graduates, I, I hope, will take advantage of that. And, and I hope, you know, I, I would love to be a mentor to them if, if people are curious. And, and I, if I, you know, I, I love teaching people. So if, if they want to t- come to me and, and, and talk about things and, or anything at all, what, what they're working on or if they have some idea about something else or if they just want to hear about some experience I've had. Yeah, let's let's have that conversation. Come and let, let's talk. You know, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah, and you have you have an intern coming up this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know she's excited to to work with us, and right. that's going to be really exciting. One of the things that we do at Ampere is hold these intern intern presentations. I've scheduled them every three weeks throughout the summer. Oh, excellent! And one of the things that I've I've done is I've realized through both through my own experience as an intern and watching other people be interns is that if there's just a single presentation at the end of the summer by the intern is oh this is the intern presentation Mm -hmm. well let's say that they present it's the friday before they leave (laughs) and they got all this feedback and you're like wow that's amazing but i wish it was like this oh it's too bad they're leaving (laughs) see you (laughs) bye and their their opportunity to learn has now diminished right right so we're again in an agile way there's a train Every three weeks, there's a chance for you to present and get heard by the fellow, by the CTO, by the distinguished engineers. I love it. Right. And it gives them an opportunity to shine and share what they've done. And it freaks them out. But it also gives them <laughs> like a chance to get a little bit of feedback, right? Yep. You know, yep. it's always good to get feedback along the ways. You know, and three, three weeks is a good, a good you know, period where like I've been working on this thing. Right. Let me see what people think. You know, it's, it's a touch point. And, and the, the great thing is that these folks have grown from junior communicators into understanding what it's like to present in a meeting mm-hmm. and technical discussion in a meeting, arguing with one another. I've seen them grow and it's been amazing. And people have come back and they said, that program was amazing. Can can we continue having three week meetings, three week presentations? And and we're like, well let's 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 talk about that. And we've now established yeah. every three weeks there is a forum. Right. Right? For oh, that's where that came from. Crazy ideas. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So every three weeks, we have a crazy idea session. If you want to come and join and present something that you've done, mm-hmm. you have an opportunity and a platform where you have all these people to, to speak with. And it gets, it gets good attendance as well. I mean, I, yeah, I, I go to that meeting. It's, there's a lot of people there. They have, people have questions. It's, you know, yeah. rocks get thrown. And <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, so, so the communication aspect is really, really great. And as you said, it's easy to get in front of technical experts. Mm-hmm. We try to, to even push those junior 
folks in front of technical experts to, to help them grow tremendously. Mm-hmm. Folks who are not interns have asked, have, have come to me and, and said, can I be in your intern program? Oh, really? <laughs> Just so that I can come and present <laughs> every three weeks. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, there's, there's enough interns coming in that you know, we, we have to, to take care of them first. So. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a remarkable uh, opportunity, I think, for both interns and you know, new college grads coming into Ampere. I know I heard you talking with Matt earlier about, you know, what, what would you say to, to you know, college grads and, and why, why come to Ampere? And, and, you know, I think Ampere really presents this opportunity to, to learn in, in a way that you won't get uh, at another company. So, you know, I, I think, I, well, I'm not sure I'm trying to remember back now. I don't remember how much I was aware when I finished university, how much I was, how much did I think I was done with learning? And now I'm going off to work, you know? But I was, I have never been done with learning. You, yep. I started work and I've been on this just constant learning trajectory ever since. It's every step of the way I'm learning new things. And, you know, the more you kind of move around in your career, I think a little bit, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier when I moved from client to cloud, there's always more stuff to learn. And I think at Ampere, it's this environment where you're not going to just be put in one little role and that's it that's all you get to do until you make decide to change your career like you're going to be exposed to so many different things and 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 have the opportunity to sit in all these different conversations with these other experts who've been around for a long long time and they're they're talking about things like like how do we structure the tlb and and why do we do it this way right and you get to sit in and listen to these things and 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 just you know learn uh, oh that's that's what they're talking about and that's these are the things these are the types of challenges we have and and this is what you know, some of the implications are that we have, you know, so it's, it's an opportunity, like even for me, after working for so long, it's, it's, it's really refreshing to be in this work environment where I get to just be a part of all these various different conversations and and be exposed to so many different aspects of, of technical development within the CPU. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's really, it's, it's such a unique opportunity that I haven't had anywhere else. I think the, what I, what I try to share with people is that I feel university and college is is where you learn how to learn. <laughs> it's just practice. Doesn't matter what you study. Yeah. You have now trained your mind how to ingest information mm-hmm. and use it effectively. Mm-hmm. And now you're ready for the real world where you will continue learning. Hopefully. For as long as you can. <laughs> <laughs> if you have that curious mindset like yes. you described earlier, right? Yeah, technical curiosity. Technical curiosity. That's great. Uh-huh. So I think we're near the end of our time. So yeah, thanks for joining me, Richard. That was a really great discussion. I know that the incoming class of Ampere new college grads is going to be really excited to be working with you. I know that you're excited to to work with them as well. I sure am, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to meet them and I'm excited to to work with everybody coming in. I think it's gonna be fun. Amazing, so thank you so much. Uh, It's been Richard Shannon. He's a distinguished architect and SOC architect here at Ampere Computing. My name is Mahesh. And this has been another episode of Ampere Amplified. We'll join you next time. Thanks. Thank you.